Well, good morning and grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter 3 or grab your copy of the story and turn to chapter 13. We look at King Solomon today as we continue our journey through the story. One quick announcement, Fan the Flame, I think it's part 6, is just around the corner. It is featuring Wren Collective, uh, a band that is awesome, that you would really be blessed to be a part of this concert. It's taking place at Lincoln Christian University on February 7. And Randy Anderson, who is dressed more like a preacher than I am today, will be selling tickets to Wren following our service. We're going to have those available for the next couple Sundays. We're hoping to sell out the place and be able to bless many churches and parachurch organizations as we have continued to throughout the fan the flame process. We started the story back on the Sunday after Labor Day and we dove uh, right in with chapter one in the fall. We looked at chapters one through 11. Last week after a six-week break we came back to the story. Last week we looked at chapter 12 and the fall of King David. David was a man after God's own heart. David had it all But unfortunately, he did not stay strong in his relationship with the Lord, uh, fell to complacency and adultery and deception and eventually murder. Uh, The good news, as far as the life of David goes, is that he really truly repented of his many sins. And David finished well. If you were to define the end of King David's life, it, it would be defining it very well. He finished strong. And he really paved the way for success with his son Solomon. When David died, there was a little bit of a battle from within his household who was going to succeed the king, and yet it was David's wife Bathsheba that wanted her son Solomon to succeed him, and that's ultimately what happened. Solomon was the second son of David and Bathsheba. Who was the first son? Do you remember? It was the child that died, the child that was conceived in sin, and that was one of the consequences for David's sin. Solomon begins his reign in 970 B.C., And Israel, if you think of where they're at at this point in time, they are on the verge of what I'm going to call international greatness. It's uh, it's been an unbelievable rise, a a meteoric rise. A people that at one time didn't have a land, a people that at one time were so dependent on their slave masters, they weren't even sure what they were going to have to eat for supper every day. They have now arrived to the point that they are a people that has a land, and they are on the verge of international greatness. It's during Solomon's reign that Israel will get to a level that they've never been at before, and they will never be at again. So Solomon's reign is very, uh, very important. I need to confess to you two things. There is way too much in this message, and there are way too many PowerPoint slides. We need to pray for whoever's doing Who is that doing PowerPoint? Sean, he's got like 60 slides. So I apologize. I've crammed way too much into this, but I don't want to throw any of it out because it's so important that we understand why Solomon was so great and where Solomon really missed the mark as we live our lives. I want us to learn from Solomon in good ways, and I also want us to learn from his mistakes. So with that, let's just dive in part one. Solomon starts strong. His reign begins positively. His his reign begins well. Like his father David... Worship is a priority from, for Solomon from the very beginning. In 1 Kings chapter 3, we find these words. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the walls around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places. 
because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on high places. Uh, There's kind of a comparison contrast in just those three verses of Scripture. Worship is a priority. He learned that from his father. He's putting that into place in his reign. He wants to follow the commands of the Lord. But you can see, even right here, he's not wiping out uh, worship of foreign gods. He's not destroying the idols in the high places. He's allowing kind of a, a potpourri of worship, and that will catch up with him eventually. The Lord is very pleased, however, with his worship, and he invites Solomon to ask him for anything. Think about that for just a moment. He says, Solomon asked me for anything. Verse 4 of 1 Kings 3 says, the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. If God said to you today, ask for anything, and you will get it. What would you ask for? Would you ask for wealth? Would you ask for success? Would you ask for healing, either for yourself or someone close to you? What would you ask for? Anything at all. And God says, before you even ask, I'm going to give it to you. What temptation would roll through our hearts and our minds? Wow, I could have this. I could have that. Solomon chooses wisely. He asks for wisdom. He could have anything at all, and he asked for wisdom. Verse 6 says that Solomon answered the Lord, you've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Can you imagine the President of the United States saying, I am only a little child, or the Governor of the state of Illinois saying, I am only a little child? I I can't fathom that. So many of our politicians today say, hey, look at me, check me out. I'm really awesome. Solomon is king uh, of uh, Israel during a time when they're as great as any country at all. And he's saying, I'm only a little child. Verse 8, your servant is here among the people. You have chosen a great people, too numerous to count or to number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord blesses Solomon with wisdom, but he blesses him with everything else as well. Can you imagine the Lord saying to you, you can have anything at all, and you ask for one thing, and he's so excited that you asked for that one thing and not something else, that he says, I'm going to give it all to you. Let's read on. The Lord says, since you have asked for this, not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and a discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor 
so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey the statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you long life. Solomon could have had anything. He asked for wisdom. The Lord is so pleased he gives him wisdom and he gives him everything else. So what's our takeaway from this chunk of scripture? Let me ask you, where are your eyes focused this morning? Where is your heart focused this morning? When I asked you that question, if you could have anything at all, what would you want? What, what was rolling through your mind? Was the temptation to say, you know, a nicer house would be pretty good? Not having to battle that disease, that, that'd be pretty good. To have my children love Jesus, that, that'd be pretty good. Those are all honorable things. Those are all good things. But what's the main thing? What's the most important thing? Where's your heart? Where's your eyes? Part two of our message today shows what Solomon does with this incredible gift. He uses this God-given gift of wisdom, and it's the gift that keeps on giving. Now, when I say the gift that keeps on giving, you're probably thinking of that white elephant gift that nobody wants, right? that you use at a Christmas party. That's not what I'm talking about at all. Solomon uses this gift, and it's a blessing, and it's still a blessing in 2015. What am I talking about today? I'm talking about the wisdom literature in our Bible, in your Bible, in the pew Bible you're holding, the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, the Song of Songs. If you have a Catholic Bible, it may say Solomon's Song of Songs, but Solomon wrote these books of wisdom literature. And they are nuggets for us today. I'm going to give you in kind of shotgun style nine Proverbs, nine, nine verses from Proverbs that I think are relevant for my life and your life today. As you live your life, as I live my life, it would be really good if every day this, one of these Proverbs was in front of my eyes when I got up in the morning or is rolling around in my mind as I go to bed at night or when I go to work or I go to school or I go to practice or I'm hanging out with my friends. That these nuggets of wisdom are there. Well, let's go through this quickly. What Solomon have to say about wisdom? Proverbs 1.7. Many people believe it is the key verse in all of the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. What Solomon have to say about trust? Proverbs 3 verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. What Solomon have to say about human logic? That's a big deal today. A lot of people are really caught up on human logic. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. What about Solomon on God's word, the power in God's word? Proverbs 30, verse 5, Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. What about just life's journey, just doing life? Solomon says in Proverbs 16, 3, Commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. What about that battle between love and hate? Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up dissension. But love, it shouldn't say lover, love covers over all wrong. My, my mistake there. What about Solomon just on the big picture? Proverbs eleven four: wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from our death. What about the tongue, the power of the tongue? Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. And parents, listen up. Grandparents, listen up. What Solomon had to say about parenting? Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, 
he will not turn from it. Why did I do this? Why did I throw nine Proverbs at you? You know, I could have thrown 99 Proverbs at you. 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, 12 chapters in the book of Ecclesiastes, and there are so many nuggets there for the taking. I want us to be a people that lean on the Lord's wisdom that Solomon has blessed us with. I was at a, the home of a member of this church. They'll go unnamed. And I noticed on the refrigerator, they just had a proverb. And I don't know if that was a daily proverb or a weekly proverb or a monthly proverb, but I started thinking, how cool would it be if every day when your family got up around the breakfast table, a, a proverb was shared? Or every night before you go to bed, maybe you do a family prayer time, a, a proverb is shared. These are nuggets for the taking. And so the takeaway is, are you allowing the Lord's wisdom to influence you? It's a new year. Today is what, January 11. We're just getting started. Some of us have made resolutions. Some of us have not. If you've not made a New Year's resolution revolving around reading God's Word, let me give you an easy way to start today. Read a chapter from the book of Proverbs starting today, and it will get you to this time in February. 31 chapters. 31 days. Start on January 11, you'll finish on February 11, and you will love it. You'll absolutely love it. Are you allowing the wisdom of the Lord to be an influence on your life? Part three, this is really the, the meat of chapter 13 of the story, and we're not going to do justice to it at all. We're just going to kind of just dive in for just a moment, but Solomon's legacy is really surrounded by the fact that he did build the temple and he did build a palace. And because of this, his fame just begins to soar, not just in Israel, but all over the world. Everyone is taking notice of Solomon and Solomon spares zero expense and he doesn't apologize. He says, I'm going to spend like crazy. It's going to be an incredible temple. It's going to be an incredible palace. And if you don't like it, I don't care. Now, Again, I'm not going to do justice. We're going to look at some pictures here. This is kind of the floor plan, the layout of Solomon's uh, temple. This next uh, picture is a sketch of what the temple might have looked like during the day. The next picture is another sketch. And again, if, if you could actually read those words, it would let you know where the different uh, aspects of the temple were unfolding. This next picture is of the palace, just a huge kind of courtyard area. I think it's called Solomon's Porch. This next picture is... Uh, of his throne. He wanted to be able to administer justice, so in his palace he had a throne where he was able to, to hear cases and, and dispense justice. And then this next slide kind of compares and contrasts the temple and the palace. Both are magnificent undertakings. The temple took seven years to build, the palace 13 years to build. The temple was built exactly according to what the Lord commanded, the palace, Solomon was kind of on his own. Now, I'm going to give you what I think is a not-so-good thing, and this isn't really from Scripture. This is just Greg's opinion, so take it for what it's worth. I'm a little bit troubled that the temple or the palace is much more extravagant than the temple, that the palace is much more massive than the temple. Solomon built an incredible temple, a place of worship for the people. The palace was the Taj Mahal before there was a Taj Mahal. And so maybe just right there, we're seeing a little bit into his heart of some possible struggles that he might have had along those lines. But understand this, the building and the dedication of the temple pleases the Lord so much 
He is so excited that Solomon has built these incredible, um, th- this incredible building of worship, but it also comes with a warning. And that's a takeaway for us in our lives today. When you do something of honor, when you do something of achievement, and, and you glorify God in doing it, man, that's great. But be careful. Be wise with how you proceed. Listen to what the Lord says. We're jumping over to 1 Kings 9, beginning with verse 4. He says, As for you, if you walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and my laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father when I said, You shall never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons turn away from me, And do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you, and go off and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them, and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among the peoples. And though the temple is now imposing, all who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and will say, Why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? The people will answer because they've forsaken the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why the Lord brought all this disaster on them. See, the Lord's saying, good job, Solomon. Way to go, Solomon. You have achieved greatness, but be careful. Make sure your heart stays pure. Make sure you aren't drawn away by other gods. Why why would he issue such a warning? Because that's been the story of God's people through most of the Old Testament up to this time. That's where they've been. They've struggled with the other gods. And the Lord knows the danger that goes along with that. What's the point of all of this? Here's the point. Solomon's splendor reaches legendary status. I'm not going to read most of chapter 10. You should read chapter 10 sometime because it just talks about how awesome Solomon is and how awesome his kingdom is up to this point in time. They give a little bit of a summary at the end of chapter 10, and that's what I want to share with you this morning. It says, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world, the whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart year after year. Everyone who came brought gifts, articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons and spices and horses and mules. He's on top of the world. He's climbed and climbed and climbed and climbed and he is at the top and Israel is at the top and all the other nations uh, of the world that used to beat up on Israel and used to oppress Israel, they're now saying, they need to be my friend. I want to have an alliance with Solomon. I want to have a partnership with Israel. It's as good as it gets. What could possibly go wrong, right? Not so much. So what's our takeaway here? Well, here's our takeaway. How can you use your God-given gifts, status, areas of influence to bring glory to God? What do you have as a unique gift that you can use for the glory of God? And I can't answer that. Only you can answer that. But I want you to ponder for just a moment, what's God blessed you with? How has God gifted you? Can you, are you using it for his glory? Well, I wish I could stop this sermon right now, just 
boom, we're done. The band comes up, they play, we move on. But sadly, we're only through part three. And part four really is, sadly, the most important part of the Solomon story. It's certainly the area that we need to be most aware of as we live our lives in 2015. And here's part four. Solomon does not finish well. The king and kingdom begins to fade and ends poorly. Solomon allowed many of his wives, the dude had 700, to negatively impact his spiritual life. 1 Kings 11 tells us that story. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women beside Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. I asked my Sunday school class, what's a takeaway from Solomon's life? And Jim Peterson said, don't have 700 wives. That was his takeaway from Solomon's life. I don't think the problem's the number. I think the problem is their influence on his heart. See, Solomon does the unthinkable. He begins to follow. He begins to worship other gods in addition to the Lord. Verse 4 of 1 Kings 11 says, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David his father has done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Shemoth, the detestable god of Moab, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. Solomon allowed his heart to be compromised. He was trying to have his cake and eat it too. He wanted to be good with the Lord, but he also wanted to be good with the gods of his wife. And so, he was torn, kind of a teeter-totter, a civil war of sorts. And Solomon loses. See, because of this choice, because of his divided heart, the Lord becomes angry with him, and the slow fade from greatness begins. Verse 9 says, The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. And so the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you've not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. And this takeaway, I think, is the most important takeaway for us today. And, and I ask this with humility but I ask this as serious as I can be. Are you allowing others to negatively impact your relationship with the Lord? I think it is a fine line between trying to be salt and be light and to reach people that don't know Jesus and to share the love of Jesus. There's a fine line between that and allowing people that just despise 
Christianity. Have no use for the faith whatsoever to really negatively impact your relationship with the Lord. The reality is, whether we want to admit it or not, as many people walk into the faith, sadly, many are walking away from the faith. And I think it's because of negative impact, negative influence from people that are hostile toward Christianity. Solomon had it all. He was on top of the world. He would have been the greatest man Israel had ever seen up to this point in time in terms of material status, in terms of land accumulation, in terms of international prominence. And he started playing with fire. He had a divided heart. And he eventually lost his kingdom. He eventually lost it all. So what do we do with this message today? I want to leave you with three questions. Only you can answer these. I can't answer them for you. I just ask that you would seriously consider each one. Number one, is your heart divided? Is your heart distracted? Do you find yourself in a little bit of a situation like Solomon did? You want to love the Lord? You want to be committed in the faith? But you're being pulled. You're being dragged. And you find yourself struggling with a divided heart, a distracted heart. Are you all in for the Lord or is there competition for your heart? I have a ministry friend in Texas that wrote this last sentence. I love it. He said, it doesn't matter how awesome you are if you're not faithful as well. Question number two, how powerful is the stuff of this world? Solomon had it all. You know what he said in Ecclesiastes? Everything is meaningless. He had it all, and by by all, I mean all. He had more than any of us will even come close to having. And at the end, he said, it's all meaningless. It's just stuff. And then finally, what is your main thing? What's most important? If you were to try to write a one-sentence summary of what the faith means to you and what the faith looks like to you, what, what would that sentence read like? Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and he concluded Ecclesiastes with these words. He says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Wouldn't it have been awesome if Solomon would have followed his own advice? Next week, we continue on with the story We dive into chapter 14, we're going to see a divided kingdom begin to unfold. We're going to study guys by the name of Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And before long, it's not going to be Israel. It's going to be Israel, the northern kingdom, Judah, the southern kingdom. Let's pray. God, thank you for the chance to be in your word. Thank you for the chance to learn from the wisest man who ever lived, who ultimately was very foolish in the choices that he made. Thank you for the hope that we have because of Jesus Christ, your Son. And it's my prayer that we will be wise, that our heart won't be divided, and that through it all our lives 
will be glorifying to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.